Hello and welcome to the podcast, Where Did the Rabbit Go? A podcast where every week we look at a certain claim that has been made on social media, in the news, or something picked up in a casual conversation, and go down the rabbit hole. I'm your host, Marco, and this is show 37 for Thursday, October 8th, 2020. First of all, I want to say that I'm truly thankful for you fine listeners who are tuning in week after week, or even just occasionally. If you like this little program that I'm putting together every week, be sure to subscribe to the show and also tell your friends about it so it can get bigger and reach more people. It seems like I'm getting used to this alternating rhythm of one regular single show always followed by an interview episode, which means this week you're getting a classic show with only me, short and sweet. And next week there should be another interview coming, so watch out because it should also go live on Instagram again. For this week, I think I picked a nice modern topic that every good skeptic should know about. So without any further ado, let's get right to it. I'm sure you all know this situation. Let's say you're stuck in traffic, or it might be even flowing traffic, and some of the other drivers called your attention because of really questionable maneuvers. Some are driving too fast, others too slow. They jump from one lane to the other without the blinker on, they run over the red light or don't keep enough distance behind you. And the way they are parking just speaks for itself. Does that sound familiar? So many other people suck at driving. Good thing that we are the really good drivers, right? I mean, maybe we're not exceptionally good at it, but at least slightly above average. Or are we? The thing is, we are not very good at assessing our own abilities. This driving example was just one way to describe it. And most people would assess themselves as above average, in many skills like this one. But this is actually a cognitive bias and a well-established effect. Let me first explain what a cognitive bias is. To be biased means that you already have a tendency of a certain way of thinking. For example, most people are already biased towards one or against one of the big political parties that are running for US president as we speak. In consequence, many people will readily accept or reject an argument of a candidate regardless whether that argument is logical, true or false, simply because of their political alignment. Another way of explaining bias is by understanding it as a kind of prejudice. It is a preconceived opinion about something or someone, and we fall into this trap all the time. Let's just say you are a Real Madrid fan and you hear that they lost 2-1 against Barcelona due to a penalty kick. Even though you have not watched the game, you are certain that the penalty was unfairly rewarded to the rivaling team. And even if you watch the scene later and you are a hardcore fan of the team, you might even dismiss the evidence for the penalty actually being fair because it goes against your bias. Well... Being biased does not sound very good, does it? 
but let's not judge people too quickly for their biases. We have to remember that bias is something that all of us human beings have. We cannot help it. In a certain way, biases are one of those many shortcuts and simplifications our brain uses in order to function more efficiently. And sure, we can try to avoid them, but sometimes we will all fall into the trap. We just have to be aware of it. Let's go back to the example of driving in traffic. This was my way of trying to explain what is now known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. In a nutshell, it states that people believe that they are smarter and more capable than they really are. In other words, most of us tend to overestimate our own abilities most of the time. This effect was originally discovered in 1999 by David Dunning, a psychologist, and his graduate student, Justin Kruger. The title of their published paper is Unskilled and Unaware of It, How Difficulties in Recognizing One's Own Incompetence Lead to Inflated Self-Assessments. In their original experiments, they performed one trial where they asked 65 people to rate how funny some jokes were to them. And some of these tested people were really bad at judging what other people would find funny. But they rated their own competence much higher. This was one of four experiments that they performed. And they got to the conclusion that most poor performers do not only lack a certain skill, but also lack the knowledge to judge their own performance and usually overestimate it. And even more, the lower the skill or knowledge of a person, the more that person will overestimate themselves. In other words, pretty much everyone believes that they are at least average, if not even better. And that's just not possible. Not everybody can be above average. Think of the car driving example. How many people do you know who actually say about themselves that their driving is lousy? Most people will say that they are good drivers. This effect also leads to this perception that we were unfairly treated when someone else has had to judge our skills. For example, in a test or in a project, which was graded by a judge or a teacher, we often perceive that we should have gotten a better grade. But in most cases, we are actually wrong about it. It is a fun fact, by the way, to mention that in 2000, Dunning and Kruger received an Ig Nobel Prize for their discovery. The Ig Nobels are often thought of as a trash version of the Nobel Prize for studies that should not be taken seriously, but this is a wrong perception. The purpose is not to award pseudoscience. The Ig Nobels are actually about real and good science, but about studies that make you think and laugh, like probably this one. Well, the Dunning-Kruger effect applies to all of us. That's why there seem to be so many incompetent and unaware people. We are those people, all of us. We have to be aware of this. We are not as good in many things as we think. And this effect can have real implications in the way we behave, in the way we make decisions or take action. In one study, Dunning and Erlinger found that women performed equally to men on science quizzes but underestimated their own performance because they believed 
they had less scientific reasoning ability. Remember, this is a bias, a preconceived notion. The researchers also found that as a result of this belief, these women were more likely to refuse to enter a science competition or even a science career. And thinking back, this is a point that Michelle Miller made on last week's show, that girls are actually interested in science, at least as much as boys, and also at least as skilled as boys. But only few of them actually stick with it. There you go. And for the men, well, they overestimate their own abilities. And because they perceive this greater ability than they really have, they also act with a greater confidence. So you see, the Dunning-Kruger effect is something that is real science, and it has to be taken seriously. It is something we all should be aware of, that we are not very good at judging our own knowledge and ability. And how do they explain this effect? Why is it happening? According to Dunning and Kruger, incompetent people tend to overestimate their own skill levels, tend to fail to recognize the genuine skill and expertise of other people, and fail to recognize their own mistakes and lack of skill. Dunning has pointed out that the very knowledge and skills necessary to be good at a task are the exact same qualities that a person needs to recognize that they are not good at the task. So if a person lacks those abilities, they remain not only bad at the task, but ignorant to their own inability. Finally, what can we do about it? We cannot completely avoid it because it is a way our brains are hardwired. But let's do this. Think about an area where you are actually very skilled or talented, or you have a lot of knowledge. And think about how much less skilled just an average person is than you in that area. Well, for most other areas, we are that average or lower than average person compared to somebody else who is the expert. We do have very specialized knowledge and skills. We know very much about very little, and we know very little about very much. And I wonder if the internet being connected and having information in the palms of our hands all the time contributes to this effect even more. Because in the end, the Google, YouTube, and all the others cannot tell us if information is genuine or fake. It is for us to develop the skills to figure out what is trustworthy. What else can we do? We can keep learning and practicing. Instead of only assuming that we have reached a great level of expertise in something, we can actually work to get there. Practice makes better, so keep practicing. And when it is time to evaluate your skills, ask other people to do so. Ask someone who you trust, someone who actually is an expert in that thing you want to be good at. And question yourself. Question what you know. Or better, what you think you know. This does not mean to show absolutely no confidence. No, not at all. It only means to be objective. Speaking about skills, how good are you in spotting a lie? Yes, dear rabbits, it's time to play Find the Fake. This week, once again, I am presenting you four news items. Three of them are actually true, and one of them is fake. 
How good are you in judging these news items? Or will you fall into the traps of your own bias and believe a lie just because you would like it to be true? Or dismiss a truth because it does not fit with your preconceived position? Let's play. These are the four items that I presented on Tuesday on Instagram. Item number one, scientists identify a biosignature in an exoplanet 24 light years away. Item number two, modern humans reached westernmost Europe 5,000 years earlier than previously known. Item number three, physicists build circuit that generates clean, limitless power from graphene. And item number four, the 2020 flu season never came to the southern hemisphere. This is your last chance to play along because we are now going to reveal them in order of appearance. Let's do item number one first. Did scientists really identify a biosignature in an exoplanet 24 light years away? Just weeks after the exciting news about Venus? What do you think? No, this one was the fake. I took a headline and changed it. Here's the original headline. Scientists identify 24 potentially superhabitable planets. Let's look at the abstract of the original paper with the title In Search for a Planet Better Than Earth, Top Contenders for a Superhabitable World, published in the magazine Astrobiology. The fact that Earth is teeming with life makes it appear odd to ask whether there could be other planets in our galaxy that may be even more suitable for life. Neglecting this possible class of superhabitable planets, however, could be considered anthropocentric and geocentric biases. Most important, from the perspective of an observer searching for extrasolar life, is that such a search might be executed most effectively with a focus on superhabitable planets, instead of Earth-like planets. We argue that there could be regions of astrophysical parameter space of star planet systems that could allow for planets to be even better for life than our Earth. We aim to identify those parameters and their optimal ranges, some of which are astrophysically motivated, whereas others are based on the varying habitability of the natural history of our planet. Some of these conditions are far from being observationally testable on planets outside the solar system. Still, we can distill a short list of 24 top contenders among the over 4,000 exoplanets known today that could be candidates for a super habitable planet. In fact, we argue that, with regard to the search for extrasolar life, potentially super habitable planets may deserve higher priority for follow-up observations than most Earth-like planets. Sounds like a very interesting survey that we should keep our eye on. This of course means that item number two is true. The westernmost point of Europe was reached 5,000 years earlier than previously estimated. This is from the article. Modern humans arrived in the westernmost part of Europe 41,000 to 38,000 years ago about 5,000 years earlier than previously known, according to Jonathan Haas, PhD professor and the chair of the Department of Anthropology at the University of Louisville, and an international team of researchers. The team has revealed the discovery of stone tools used by modern humans dated to the earlier time period 
in a report published this week in the Journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. The tools, discovered in a cave named Lapa do Picarero, located near the Atlantic coast of central Portugal, linked the site with similar finds from across Eurasia to the Russian plain. The discovery supports a rapid westward dispersal of modern humans across Eurasia within few thousand years of their first appearance in southern eastern Europe. The tools document the presence of modern humans in westernmost Europe at a time when Neanderthals previously were thought to be present in the region. The finding has an important ramification for understanding the possible interactions between the two human groups and the ultimate disappearance of the Neanderthals. Let's go on with item number three, which is also true. Physicists build circuit that generates clean, limitless power from graphene. This is from the article. A team of University of Arkansas physicists has successfully developed a circuit capable of capturing graphene's thermal motion and converting it into an electrical current. The findings, published in the journal Physical Review E, are proof of a theory the physicists developed at the U of A three years ago that freestanding graphene, a single layer of carbon atoms, ripples and buckles in a way that holds promise for energy harvesting. The team used a relatively new field of physics to prove the diodes increased the circuit's power. In providing this power enhancement, we drew from the emergent fields of stochastic thermodynamics and extended the near-century-old celebrated theory of Nyquist, said co-author Pradeep Kumar, associate professor of physics and co-author. According to Kumar, the graphene and circuits share a symbiotic relationship. Though the thermal environment is performing work on the load resistor, the graphene and circuit are at the same temperature and heat does not flow between the two. And finally, item number four is also true. The 2020 flu season has probably never reached the southern hemisphere. Think about it. Their flu season, their fall and winter, completely overlapped with the coronavirus pandemic, starting really taking off in March which means people were social distancing like never before. And that means bad news for the flu virus, which needs people to be in contact in order to spread. This is from the article on Scientific American. As coronavirus widened its global sweep, one health statistic quickly flattened influenza cases. In the Southern Hemisphere, flu season would have been just taking off, but cases were virtually non-existent. Never in my 40-year career have we seen rates so low, says Greg Poland, an influenza expert at the Mayo Clinic. Although researchers need to study the reasons further, several told Scientific American that coronavirus prevention measures, hand washing, mask wearing, and social distancing, are working against flu transmission. If those measures continue, Poland says, countries could see the most dramatic drop in influenza cases in modern human history. US health experts still recommend flu shots, however, because not everyone in the country is observing measures to contain the virus and because COVID-19 could perhaps be more threatening in people who contract flu. This week's shout out for being the first to answer right goes to Idan Kopi. Well, dear rabbits, this is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening. 
You can find my podcast on Instagram at Where Did The Rabbit Go. Over there, you can also participate in the trivia game on next Tuesday. And communicate with me what you would like from this show in the future. If you like the show and you want to support me, there are very easy and painless ways to do so. You can rate and review the show. That would make it easier for other people to find the podcast as well. And please subscribe to the show and share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And communicate with me using the hashtag where did the rabbit go. Stay safe and stay curious. Until next Thursday, I'm Marco and this has been Where Did the Rabbit Go?